Morning. Morning to those of you still watching online. Happy August 14th. Is that today? Yeah, August 14th. We are beginning a new series this morning. I am titled The Worshiping Church, as that uh, brief video said. And I want to take some time. This is kind of on purpose. These, and This is the, the last summer series. hate to say that, but anyway, uh, we're heading into the end of summer. And I want to do it. I want to take a look at the church classic passage, we'll get there in a second, about what the church is and what does it mean to be a worshiping church for many good reasons, but one of them is as we move into starting another year, I'm talking about program year in a few weeks in early September, I want to um, remind us all, encourage us all, what does it mean to be a worshiping church in this, get ready for it, post-COVID world. I don't know. At least I'm, I'm, I'm aspirationally saying it's a post-COVID world. So, um, but really, to talk about what does it mean to be the church and, and remind ourselves, challenge ourselves, what does it mean, uh, you know, um, to, to be the church. And, and when we talk about worship, that's the, was, that word is chosen on purpose. Generally, we think of worship as this, and I think this is in sort of a high level. It's what we give to God in response to what he's given to us. Right? That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, um, a statement that I think would be true. In other words, we respond. We're responders. God created us. He created the world. And, and he, he is the author of all life, the sustainer of all life, the giver of all life, etc. And what worship is at a fundamental level is us responding to what we do in responding to God to what he's given to us. Whether we're Christians or not, it gets even better when you become a Christian, you understand more and more who God is, right? It's responding. But it's not only what we do privately, like what I would do privately, you do when I'm, when I'm in the word of God, I'm prayer is a way to respond. Um, it's not only what I do privately, even what we do corporately, we call this corporate worship, but it's also what we give back, not just to God privately and corporately, but what we would say we give to each other. We'll see this in a minute, the scriptures. Worship is also what we give. We actually worship God in our relationship with others called the body of Christ and how we give, how we serve the world that God has called us to serve, the world that he loves. All of this is worship. Think about these words. Jesus said this to his disciples, the, we might say at the, you know, the embryonic church, the early church, before they even knew they were launching a church. We're talking about the 12 disciples. But that's what Jesus was doing with them. And he said, listen, by this, John 13, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. That's a powerful statement. I'm sure they didn't know what he meant when he said, but he said, listen, I want you guys to know something. They don't really know it, but I'm here to launch an organization, an, an organism, this thing called the church that's going to kind of like a, you know, a seed, uh, like a pearl, like wheat in the dough. It's going to be this sort of slow growth thing that's going to overwhelm the whole world. It's called the kingdom of God. And at the heart of it is the church and you guys are at the front of it. Okay. And this is what the church is going to be. But this is what I want you to know. Even though nobody knows who we are right now, we're in the backwater of Galilee, we're, we're, we're an afterthought, nobody cares, but this thing is going to grow and be overwhelming. It's going to overwhelm the world. It's called the kingdom of God. But people are going to know that you belong to me, the Son of God, by the way that you love one another. Now, what's interesting to me is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say people are going to um, know you are my followers because of what you believe. Now, Theologically. Now, do I care about theology? Absolutely. 
We talked about that at the beginning of the year. I think it's absolutely important. We'll talk a little bit about it this morning even. I think your theological beliefs, my theological beliefs are very important, but ultimately they are means to an end, right? The theology that I have in my heart, in my life, in my mind, in my soul works its way out into the fingertips in how I live, right? So I think theology is important, but Jesus doesn't say, they will know you are my followers by what you believe theologically. They don't even say, he doesn't also say, they will know you are my followers because of your political beliefs. Now, do I think the political beliefs are important? I do. They're an expression of your life and your convictions. That's not unimportant, but that's not how people are going to know we are his followers. They're going to know you are my followers by the way that you love one another. And I, I say all that to say as we get into this series is this. I think if the world that we live in ever needed the church to be the church, I mean truly the true expression of the church, if the world we live in ever needed the church to be the church, it's now. I mean, we say, well, I, I joke with people, you know, I saw a guy this morning, a good friend of mine, and he was, uh, I jokingly call him the pajamas guy. In other words, he, I'm still a part of Bronco, but I've been home in my pajamas forever, you know, and I'm here today. And, and, and that's okay. Those of you home in your pajamas, we love you, okay? But, but you know what? It's time to get back to church. Not just in this room, okay? That's part of it. But it's time to be the church. We need to get out there in every way. The, to be the church, to worship, is not only what we do privately and corporately, it's what we do all around. It's the whole Christian life. We're going to do it with a single passage, as we've done before, Acts chapter 2. And Acts chapter 2, the last six verses, very familiar. It's one of the clearest pictures of the early church. Many of you could quote it or you're familiar with it, Acts chapter 2. But it's not, it's not just the early church. When it was written, it was the only church. And I think Luke is trying to say, I want to capture this vision and write it down for you because it represents aspirationally what the church is supposed to be over the course of time. But in this passage, we're not only going to see some of what the church does, what are the moving parts of the church. We're going to see that, but we're going to see what God values and how it is that God wants to be worshipped. Okay? It's not that mysterious. How does God want to be worshipped? So four things. Let me lay out the whole series. Okay? Number one, today's sermon, what is the church? What is a worshiping church? A worship church is devoted. So I want you to ask yourself these questions as you listen to these sermons. Are you devoted? Am I devoted? Okay, am I devoted to God? Second thing, am I generous in self-giving? Okay, this is how, this is how the church is, ex- is experienced. Generous in self-giving. We'll see that in this passage, in this series. Third, it's a joy-filled community. They were in awe, and, and, they were, and there was joy in their hearts. It's a joy-filled community. Is our community joy-filled? Is your, your communities, as you experience the church, joyful? And last, it's full of new life, right? And the Lord added daily those to, who were being saved. I mean, it's, it's, it's full of new life. This is what the worshiping church is. So we're going to look at, I'm going to read the whole passage. It's six verses, but my whole sermon is only going to be on one verse. But let's read it with me. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Follow along as I read. They, this is the early church, just born day of Pentecost. If you know that story, Acts 2, the descent of the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves. This is the church. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
generous and self-giving. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, there's the whole series. Now let me just, one verse, devoted. It's my subject this morning, devoted. Three things, Acts 2.42. First one is, the church, the early church, was devoted to truth. Okay, they were devoted to truth. They devoted themselves, first thing mentioned, to the apostles' teaching. Now, what does that mean? In an earlier uh, a copy, you know, let's say uh, the RSV, maybe, or the King James, I mean, I'm talking about an early translation of the Bible, it would say this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now, maybe that word's not used and it was translated because, you know, that's a word a little old school for some of us. In other words, what does the word doctrine mean? That's what it's talking about. Doctrine. It's the apostles. Who are the apostles? Well, they were these people chosen. I didn't choose them. You didn't choose them. Jesus Christ did. There was 12 of them. And they wrote the New Testament. Right? They wrote the New Testament. And they were given, a, they were just like you and me, I suppose they were, they were sinners saved by grace, but they were given a deposit. They were given a charge to be the vehicles. I think 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy mentions this. The Holy Spirit of God moved them and they wrote the very scriptures. They were the doctrine of the church. And the early church was committed, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Ephesians 2.20, if you're a note taker, Paul will say this later. He's talking about the church, this, this miracle, this amazing thing that Jesus started. And he said, listen, the apostles, the church of Jesus Christ, my church, the church of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is built the foundation of the church. Okay? The foundation of the church is the apostles and the prophets. You might call them the apostles of the Old Testament or the, of the Old Covenant. He's saying this is the foundation. We call it today our Holy Bible. Okay? That's what we're talking about. They were committed to the apostles' teaching. Let me say something really quickly. What's an apostle? Some people still use that word today, you know, Apostle John, or you see on an advertisement, you know, Apostle so-and-so will be speaking at the gathering, you know, whatever. And, and, and that's used a couple different ways. Sometimes it's used sort of loosely, like it's like saying, you know, it's another way of saying pastor. I wouldn't call myself an apostle, but I mean, some people would use that word loosely because apostle literally means sent one. Sometimes people use it theologically. In other words, they say there are more apostles. I think that's, I don't think that's accurate, okay? So there's more than one way, but the apostles, there's only 12 of them. Not 13, not 15, you know, not, there's only 12 of them. They were disciples too, but they were apostles, and they were given a unique role. And that unique role was to, trans, to, be, to, to be a, a transfer, to, to, to be an agent of writing the doctrine of the church. And what this passage is telling us you is the early church was devoted to the truth. What is that? It's timeless, listen carefully, transcendent truth that reveals at least four things. I want you to think, do you come to the Bible for this? Do I come to the Bible for this? Do I, am I devoted Number one, it tells us who God is, okay? 
God is not a figment of my imagination. God is not who I want him to be. Whether I'm a non-Christian, and I just say a lot of people in the world, world religions are just everyday street theology, says God is who I want him to be. I, I want a God to be a God of love. I want a God to hate the things that I hate and like the things that I like. You know, I mean, we all do this, right? And God becomes an expression of our ultimate desires. He becomes like us. This has been as old as time itself. Christians do it too. Whether we were brought up a certain way, a certain tradition that may be beyond the scriptures or, or we had a certain experience and we, we fashion even the God of the Bible, right? This is what the, 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 uh, the, one of the 10 commandments was. Don't, make, don't worship the, the, the holy God in the world's way, right? God is who he says he is, not who I want him to be, okay? It's who he is, I have to come to the scriptures humbly and say, not God be who, I want you to like the things that I like and don't like the things that I don't like. No, I'm gonna come open-handed and say, who are you and show me who you are, okay? The Bible tells us, if, I, if I'm devoted to truth, who God, listen, secondly, listen very carefully, the Bible tells us who we are. I know we live in a world where we're all identifying who we are and reshaping and re, uh, you know, shaping and, and de defining who we are, what marriage is, what people. I mean, this is all happening real time in our culture. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us who we are. James uses this great illustration if you're a note taker, James 1. Anyone who listens to the word, devoted to truth, and does not do what it says, supposed to change the way you live your life true it's not just intellectual it's supposed to be informed the way you live your life anyone who comes to the word but does not do what it says is like it's a simile they're like someone who looks in a mirror we all do this today right 2,000 years that hasn't changed we look in a mirror check your hair check this that and the other thing but they walk away quickly they did a quick check they didn't realize they were they cut shaving here and their hair was sticking up back here or, you know, there was a nose hair, whatever the case may be, okay? There's something that didn't look right. And they walk away quickly and don't forget what manner of person they are and they go into their office and everyone's talking about them, you know what I mean? He's saying, no, but the person, it's a metaphor, but he's making the same point, who looks into the perfect law of liberty, it's his metaphor for the Bible, and continues therein, not forgetting what they're seeing, that person will go into the world and be blessed because they're acting in concert with who they are. Am I making sense? Devoted to truth. Third thing the Bible tells us, we come to it to tell us what salvation is. Oh my goodness. You can't live your life and walk through this world. The world isn't gonna tell you, the newspaper isn't gonna tell you, your neighbors aren't gonna tell you, your friends aren't gonna tell you what forgiveness of sin is. That's, not, that's, a, that's a mystery, that's a, that's a gift, that's a revelation. The world is the opposite. The world says, jump higher or you can't get in. Be prettier, you're not, you're, you're not welcome here, okay? But the, the Bible talks about the grace of God. The Bible talks about forgiveness. That's a revelation. So it tells you who God is. It tells you who you are, who I am. It tells you what salvation is. And it tells you how life, as God designed it, was meant to be lived. I mean, if, some, if you told me 20 years ago that the cultural questions of today would be X, Y, and Z, I'd say, there's no way in the world those are gonna be the cultural questions. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard, but they are, okay, in the day that we live. 
We come to the word of God if you're devoted to truth. That's my question. If I'm devoted to truth, if we as a church are devoted to truth. Not to sit in judgment over it. I want to look for what I've planned on seeing, right? I, I come to it in a man humbly. It sits in judgment over me, okay? It sits in judgment over me. But let me say this also about the Bible, the word of God, the apostles' teaching. It's not simply writing about God as if being a Christian is like taking a history course or a math course. It's not writing about God. I learned this and I learned that and I learned he, he thinks this and he doesn't think that. It's, if you take it for what it says it is, it's writing by God to you, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. This is a metaphor, Hebrews 4, that um, divides soul and spirit, the joints and the marrow. It reveals the thoughts and the intents of the human heart. Oh, my goodness. The, a history book doesn't do that. It's the agent. It's a living agent. It's the word of God that comes into your life and reveals who you are, reveals who God is, and does some spiritual surgery on your life. Okay? That's what it is. It's, it, God wants to speak. He does that by speaking to you. He's attempting to speak to you. The question is, are you listening are you devoted i'm just going to read some verses without commentary from the 119th psalm you guys are smart enough to do your own homework and just listen to these words about the word of god about what the word of god is supposed to do in my life and yours and and ask yourself if this is your story or mine 119 verse 2 blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart Verse four, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. I seek you with all my heart, verse 10. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Meditate. Verse 18, open my eyes, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Boy, what a prayer. Preserve my life according to your word. Devoted to truth. 127 and 8, because I love your commands... More than gold, more than pure gold. Okay, it's just an image of something of high value. And because I consider all your precepts right, these are conditional clauses, therefore I hate every wrong path. Okay? Devoted to truth. It's not writing about God, it's God's writing to you. Are you a devoted listener? To be a devoted to truth means not only we receive the blessings and even the hard truths, right, that the Bible speaks to me, speaks to you, but it means we choose to live by them. They will know you are my disciples by the way that you enter the world. Love one another. Love's not just Hugs and kisses, you know that, right? Love is the committed life like Christ by the way that you love 
one another. I was in Kosovo, just got back, where I was a missionary 20 years ago, and this trip was just interesting, another sort of scope out the situation. Church is only 20 years old. I'm talking about the church in the country is only 20 years old. And this, this trip, I spent time with pastors um, that I'd met for the first time because they didn't even exist 20 years ago. And I met one guy, his name is Femi. He's the pastor of the largest church in the capital, Pristina. He's the guy with the dark blue shirt in that photograph. And he has an amazing testimony. He was a college student in the mid-1990s. He came to know Christ. That's a long story. Phenomenal story. He was a college student. Maybe this happened to some of you. It did to me. Why well, I became a Christian as a college student. He had a few months before he went home to tell his parents. You know, because he was experiencing the college. And he goes home to tell his parents, you know, Christmas time, I'm a Christian. And in his case, though, course it's a a Muslim country his father not only was a Muslim not a Christian his father was an imam now what's an imam an imam is the Muslim version of a pastor right they lead the mosques okay so you can imagine his father was not all that excited about the fact that his son (laughs) became a Christian and I said what'd your dad say he said well my dad said this thank you for telling us son and uh you have a choice to make. You can either change your mind, okay, or you can change your address because you're not welcome here. You know what he did? Changed his address. And he never stepped back in that house for two years, okay? Now, he'd been a Christian for six months. I said, tell me. All I knew this much, he told me one story. He said, one day, I think it was a Monday, I read the Gospels. I was so fascinated. And Tuesday, I read from Romans to Revelation. Now, he didn't know a lot, but... He was devoted to the truth. And when his father said, change your mind or change your address, he changed his address. But you know what happened? Over the next handful of years, he had a big family, very big family. He led six of his brothers of eight, he had eight brothers. He led six of his brothers to Christ and all three of his sisters. In seven years from the time he became a Christian, now we're in the early 2000s, his father, his father, not only put down his his point of view, put down his way of life, and he received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Okay, isn't that amazing? Why did that happen? Because he was devoted to truth, right? They will know you are my fathers by the way that you truly love, okay? That's how you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Second thing, devoted to fellowship. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is a whole other sermon, in a, in a way, we, we, sometimes the word fellowship, it's one of these words in the Bible that is kind of, I don't know, become a, a broader and softer word, but it was a very deep theological word. I don't know what, like atonement or something. In other words, this is a word that we use, you know, we call this fellowship and you're going to go today and have fellowship with your friends and all that's appropriate. But the point is, the word when it was used, almost coined by the New Testament writers, was speaking of a deep theological truth. They were committed to fellowship. Paul wouldn't have used it or Luke wouldn't have used it here. Deep theological truth that's used throughout the New Testament. And the word really means, the Greek word, some of you know the Greek word, even if you don't know Greek, because it's become so popular, transliterated in English letters, is called koinonia. Now koinonia, which is just the Greek word for fellowship, means this. In one sort of basic level, it means to share. It means to share. But it really means to share with someone, to share with someone something very deep. It's a, it's a deep kind of sharing. In the context of New Testament theology, it means sharing in a committed relationship, a faith relationship in Jesus Christ, the living Savior. 
So this thing that we can't really understand, the body of Christ, that somehow as when you become a Christian in an invisible way, you are put into something deeper. I don't know, you're, you're all, you're, you become part of a, of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a reality. Maybe that's a good word. A reality that connects you with other people, not only in the present, like if you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we don't even know each other or we just met each other. We're connected in a deep way, deeper than blood, deeper than skin color, deeper than politics. We're connected in a way, not only with people in this room and in this country, like my friends in Kosovo, et cetera, et cetera, but people over the course of time. And this is the mystery of our faith, or one of them, okay? Devoted to fellowship. Some would say this. I mean, writers, you know, commentators. The real miracle of Pentecost, what is Pentecost? The event that birthed the church that we just read about. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes down. I didn't read it. We just read the sort of last six verses. But the great moment of Acts 2 is the Spirit comes down, tongues of fire, you know, Peter gives this great sermon and 3,000 people are saved. Then verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But some would say this, writers that are right about this, the real miracle of Pentecost is not just that all these people got saved and, and that was a miracle and, the, and they spoke in tongues and all that. The real miracle of Pentecost is out of this very diverse group of people. You can, if you want to take notes, write Acts 2 verse 5. It says this. It was the people that came together for this religious festival called Pentecost. This is when the whole church was birthed. It were from every nation under heaven. So in the old days, the ancient world, people didn't travel like they did in our day, get an airplane, but a couple times a year, Jews did. And they came from every, and it mentions all these geographies, Parthians, Medes, Arabs, people from Rome, people from North Africa. They came together, not only Jews, but proselytes, if you read the verses in Acts 2, they came together and in this moment God decided to birth the church. Why? Because he's creating a fellowship. What's a fellowship? It's people who got together that are recorded. Their, 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 their life, their worship is being talked about in the verses we just said, devoted themselves, gave in self-giving, you know, uh, loved each other, served each other, were in awe together, worshiped together. They were people that normally would have nothing to do with each other. They were, from, they, they were from different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, different skin colors, different blue collar and white collar. Uh, believe it or not, Republicans and Democrats, okay? I mean, really, they were people who had all kinds of differences. They had to. But what happened was they were together. I can today, you can today, if you're devoted to fellowship. This question. I can be closely connected do life with, share life with, with someone who's a very different background to me, different cultural background, different skin color, different points of view. I can do that. Because, why? Because we share something deeper than skin color. We share something deeper than socioeconomics, whether they went to college or didn't, or they're a doctor and I'm a plumber. It doesn't matter. We share something deeper than politics. And therefore, we have a connection there's a verse later in James that says this. This isn't anybody's favorite verse, but, you know, um, confess your sins one to another. Right? 
confess your sins one, and, and through that you will be healed. That's a paraphrase of James chapter five. Now why is it possible if you do that, if I do that? If there are people in my life, I'm not talking about everyone in this room, but there's people in my life for whom I'm sort of in a covenant with in a, in a manner of speaking. In other words, they're part of my kitchen cabinet. Do you have a kitchen cabinet? Or are you a Christian just lives your life sort of as a solo artist? If, if the answer is the latter, it's why you don't have a lot of power in your life in a manner of speaking. It doesn't mean you're not a Christian. The body of Christ. But it says, the only reason I can confess my sins to another person, or at least share them, they're not forgiving my sins, only Jesus does that, but the reason I can confess my sins to another person is because I share with that person something that's deeper than my sins, deeper than my shame. See, when I was non-Christian, that's all I had. I said, I can't tell you my sins, my struggles, my problems, because it's such an exposure, I feel so incredibly exposed and judged, but when I share with them something deeper than my sins, I can do that. They were devoted to fellowship. Wouldn't you be? Should be. How about this verse, Ephesians 4? We speak the truth one to another in love. We need to grow up, Paul. This is a paraphrase. Quit being tossed around like infants back and forth with every wind of doctrine. We need to speak the truth in love. He's saying, listen, you need other people that can tell you not only you're, you're, you're moving in the wrong direction. You're, you're making a mistake. Watch out. Stop that. Also, the other thing. Quit saying you're not worthy. Quit saying you're not loved. Quit saying you're not forgiven even if you don't feel it. You are. Others, I need people that can speak the truth to me in love. That's fellowship. I was in a conversation just in the last uh, week or so with someone in my kitchen cabinet. Okay? You have a kitchen cabinet? And we were talking about subject A, and I asked this guy for advice. It was a meeting to get together to talk about something. I need your counsel. And we're talking about subject A, and all of a sudden he did one of these. You got friends like this? This little swift to subject B. Almost, you know, effortlessly. I want to talk to you about subject B, and I want to challenge you on subject B, and I think you're missing something here, and I want to speak the truth to you in love. And he had a dotted line connection to subject A, but it was like, whoa, where did that come from? But you know what? even though it was, it was a surprise and I was sobered by it and I didn't see it coming. But it didn't blow me away. It didn't offend me and I sent him a note later and I said, listen, thank you so much for subject B because it really, really helped me. Why could I do that? Because we share something, this friend of mine, that's deeper than my pride. That's what fellowship is. And when I share something that's deeper than my pride, deeper than my politics, fill in the blank, then I have an ability to share with somebody that I couldn't do before. This is what fellowship means. They were devoted to truth. Are you devoted to truth? I don't look for what I've planned on saying. I don't cherry pick, right? I come to the Bible to say humbly, who are you, God? Who am I? What is salvation? And help me to live my life the way you've designed it to be. Are you devoted to truth? Or do we decide what we like? Well, it's not fashionable anymore for this to be true or that to be true. It's not cool. It's not hip. The world's moving in a different direction. The train has left the station. Not in God's eyes, it hasn't. Right? Not in God's eyes, it hasn't. You and I need to get in line with the train that God has set in motion. We need to live our lives in line with the truth, not make the truth live in line with our preferences and styles. Because you say, well, Rob, what are you being so nitpicky about? Because... Here's the point. By this, they shall know that you are belong to me because you love one. Learns, if we don't live the life that God has given us and intended us to live, we're not really helping anybody do anything, right? 
our lives become the witnesses we become more like Jesus. That's the point. Devoted to truth, devoted to fellowship. Lastly, I only have a few minutes, devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let me say a few words about it. When we read the Bible, and I hope you do, thoughtfully, carefully, and even church history, hope you do that thoughtfully and carefully. What do I mean by church history? I'm talking about the men and women and people who have become the disciples and, 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 and um, uh, leaders and, and non-leaders, but real Christians who have helped God, use to, God has used to build the church over the course of 2,000 years. When you read the Bible and church history, people prayed. When people prayed, they expected God to do something. Okay? They didn't, it wasn't just hitting the ceiling. They didn't, it wasn't just sort of a, a religious exercise. They expected God to do something. They didn't necessarily always expect God to give them what they wanted. God, give me this relational thing. Give me this job. Give me, protect me. My gosh, read the Psalms. It's pretty rough, 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 you know. But uh, uh, God, I need your help. I need your help right now. But they prayed, not necessarily thinking God was always going to do what he wanted them to do, but they believed, they expected God was going to hear them and expected that God would be trusted enough to give them an answer to their prayer. Okay? Read the prayers of Moses. Read the prayers of Hannah. Read the prayers of Rebecca. I love that. Give me children lest I die. Or maybe that was Rachel. I love that prayer. You know, give me children lest I die. That's a real prayer. Or the prayers of Nehemiah. Lord, strengthen my hands. He didn't say that when he was on a beach. He said that when he was afraid that his life was going to end because they were people that were really threatening him, right? I had a trowel in one hand and a sword in another, right? Read the prayers of Paul. Read the prayers. Listen, read the prayers of, of, of George Mueller, the great British missionary. Read the prayers of Amy Carmichael. Read the prayers of Elizabeth Elliot. Read the prayers of Hudson Taylor. You say, I don't know who those people are. Get to know them. Put down whatever you're reading and, get, and, get in, and start reading about men and women who changed the world because they were devoted to truth, they were devoted to fellowship, and they were devoted to prayer. Okay? Devoted. Am I devoted? Are you devoted? A worshiping church is a praying church because it's in spirit empowered, prevailing prayer that God does amazing things in our lives and in the life of this church. I love this last verse. It'll be the last sermon on Labor Day weekend. Um, And the Lord added daily uh, many to those who were being saved. God can do amazing things, even through broken pots like you and me. Oswald Sanders, great missionary leader of the last century. Prevailing prayer is the outcome of a correct relationship with God. That's what I'm kind of saying. In prayer, we deal directly with God and only in a secondary sense with men and women. The goal of prayer is the ear of God. Prayer influences people by influencing God to influence them. Do you believe that? What a powerful statement. It is not the prayer that moves them, the God to whom we pray, but the God to whom we pray. Prevailing prayer is the outcome of a correct relationship with God. 
So, application for this sermon. Three things. I don't know where you are, but ask the Lord. I, I need greater devotion in all three of these areas. I think you all, we all say we all do. But I'm just saying pick one. Some of you need a greater devotion to truth. Okay? You've been taking this much too lightly. All right? You need a greater devotion to truth. And I don't know where you sit. Some of you are very devoted in your, in your not just reading, but letting the Bible read you in a manner of speaking. But if you aren't, join our reading plan. Okay? It's on our website. I do it. Get in the word of God and let it get into you. And start saying humbly, allow the word of God to, uh, 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 you know, um, be your authority right, in your life. Allow God to change you. Right? Don't come looking for what you want to find. Come humbly saying, God, what saith the Lord? Who are you? Who am I? What is salvation? How do you want me to live my life? Second, that may be your, some of you, it's, it's, it's fellowship. I mean, real fellowship. I'm not talking about uh, uh, picnics. That's good. I'm talking about having a kitchen cabinet. I'm talking about being open to people. Uh, Chris, who was just baptized here, who said, my life was a mess. I was mad at God. I got involved in Rooted. It's just a program. I committed, in t- and, and God began to help me realize that I share with people who don't look like me, who make more or less money than me, who have different politics than me. I share with them something great, much greater than my sin and my points of view. Do you? Or are you still living your Christian life on your own and coming up with excuses? Well, I'm too busy. I got this. I got that. You don't know what my life's like. Get serious. Maybe that's your thing. Or maybe it's prayer. You say, well, I don't really pray that much. Maybe before meals and, you know, for for this and that when I'm sick. But I really don't believe that prayer is about moving the hand of God. Well, that's what it is. Maybe you need to be inspired by the scriptures or inspired by some people in history. Oh my goodness. You say, how can God use me? I'm a sinner. That's all he uses is sinners. You know, they're all sinners. Remember Peter? <laughs> I never heard of the guy, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, who's Jesus? And God used him, you know, uh, four weeks later to launch the church. Get out of your own way. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. We love you. Help us, Lord, wherever we stand today, wherever we sit today, to examine our hearts. Are we, are we um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, convenience Christians? Or are we serious about being a believer? Are we, are we uh, help us to be devoted to truth and to fellowship? into prayer that we might become more the church you want us to be in Jesus name amen listen last thing I want to say before I send you out speaking of in a manner speaking next week's sermon which is uh, self-giving you know they gave what they had right I'm, I'm paraphrasing you know they whatever whoever had needs they said what do you need I'm going to meet a need out in the lobby today okay making this very simple for us on, is, is a, are pieces of paper. It's like the old grocery list uh, thing. And on this list is school supplies um, for kids in elementary school, K through six, with one of our partner schools, school number 10. Now, you, if, you, if you remember, however old you are, I don't think this has changed. It was true when I went to school and 
I've been out of high school for more than 10 years, and, uh, or, or whatever. So when you went to school, you know, that you probably got the textbook from the school, and you got, you know, the, the teacher, of course, was, was part, but you had to bring your own pencils and pens, even in, in those days. I think it's still true. You have to bring your own notebooks. They don't give those to you. And that's nothing for the mass majority of the people in this room. It's nothing. It's a no-brainer. Pick it up at, at Staples on the way. Some kids, they can't do that. They don't have the money. Their parents are, don't do it for them. And the, so what happens is the teachers, and thank you teachers in this room, so suburban and urban, who, who, oh my goodness, you're champions. You, you serve kids and, and do things for kids that no one ever knows but God knows. But many of these teachers end up out of their own pockets buying X, Y, and Z for kids. So this is an opportunity. There's 300 pieces of paper, whatever's left out of there. We're trying to do this for kids in, in first through sixth grade at school 10. You can bring them. Just no fancy bag. Bring it back here. The next two Sundays, we'll deliver it. Amen? Amen. Great. Have a great Sunday.